Uh, I'm going to finish off what I started yesterday morning. So if you remember, we talked about um, what, what is the rock that the church would be built on, the church being you and me. What is the firm foundation that will help us to step into all that God's called us to? And in the last session, I talked about the revelation of Jesus, who he really is, and therefore the revelation of God, who is our Father, what is his true nature, what is he really like, and how can we get rid of anything that would want to get in the way of us living out of that truth and that revelation of who God is. And when we understand who God is and how good he is and how kind he is and how passionate about healing he is and bringing his kingdom, we can step into living naturally supernatural because it will just flow out of that revelation. And the other rock that I felt God speak to about where the church is built on was the revelation of who Jesus says we are, who we are in Christ, our brand new identity. I don't know if you know this, but the minute you responded to Jesus' call on your life, the minute you said yes to him to make him Lord and Saviour of your life, you got an identity transplant in that instant. In that incident, your identity was totally turned around. It's good news, in case you're wondering. You know, we, we read in Scripture, um, the old has gone, the new has come. We have been totally transformed in who we are as sons and daughters of God. Um, but here's, here's what happens often, is the enemy is on a mission to stop the church really understanding who they are, their significance, what they carry and what they're able to do. The biggest, um, the biggest uh, disqualifier, if you like, that I hear people say who come and do TSM when it comes to seeing the sick healed and hearing God's voice and all that kind of stuff is God is likely to use other people. He, it's not, it, it's, it's not going to happen through me. It's, not, it's just not going to happen. It, it, I understand that he'd want to use every other believer around me, but me, it's, it's not going to be who God uses. And it's a massive issue. The enemy wants to come in and cut us off from the truth about who God says we now are in Christ to make us ineffective in the purposes of God over our lives. And we have got to learn to get savvy to the schemes of the enemy. And what I've seen and what I've experienced in my own life, and I have to really fight against this, is that often as believers we are in agreement much more with what the enemy says about us than what God says about us. And that's a problem. We've got to battle in our minds to understand who we really are now that we're in Christ. And I think I heard, I think it was Chris Vallison I heard say something like, he said, uh, he said, uh, God knows who we are, angels know who we are, demons know who we are, the devil knows who we are. We're the only ones who don't know who we are. (laughs) We're the only ones who don't realise who we are. And, uh, We've got, to, we've got to learn to step into the, the, the fullness of the calling over our lives. And uh, I, I just love, in the Gospels, looking at the impact it had on the disciples hanging out with Jesus. There was something about hanging out with Jesus that made the disciples realise that they were called to be significant. Now, they got it wrong a lot, which is also super encouraging. But, you know, there's, there's the times when they're arguing over who is going to be the greatest. There's something about hanging out with Jesus and what was going on around Jesus that they thought, we're meant to be great here. Something great is meant to happen. I'm meant to be involved. Who is the greatest? And they're having this argument, and, and obviously Jesus has to sort them out a little bit but you notice he didn't say you shouldn't want to be great he doesn't he doesn't say you shouldn't have aspirations to be great he just kind of tweaked 
what their, their sense of greatness was by bringing a child in to say, if you want to be great, become, become like this child. Um, and I love, on another occasion, I can't remember which two disciples it was now, but uh, Jesus is rejected by a Samaritan village, and these two disciples, their response, their immediate default response is, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to nuke the whole village? I mean, that's their impulse response, and obviously they got it wrong. But I'm provoked by the fact that they realised they could do that. <laughs> like they actually realised that they could call down fire from heaven. There was something about hanging out with Jesus that they, they realised they carried something significant, um, even though they got it a bit wrong. And, and perhaps one of my favourite things is that the, the disciple John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, is only referred to as the disciple whom Jesus loved in his own book, which he wrote, which I just think is brilliant. I mean, he was clearly very secure that he referenced himself in the book that he wrote that he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. And just to add to it, which is just hilarious, I don't know if you've noticed this before, but in the, in the Gospel of John, John is telling the story of the resurrection and uh, says, it says this, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, John and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him so Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb both of them were running together but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first and like, that was an important point to make John wanted to make sure that everybody knew that P- Peter was slower than him and I love that the end of the Gospel of John, it says, you know, if I were to recount everything that happened, it would there wouldn't be enough books, uh, paper or space, all the books for all the stories, but it was important that John helped us to realise that he was a faster runner than Peter. It's just hilarious, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure there's some theological reason for it, but I just think it's brilliant. Something about hanging out with Jesus put something in these guys that made them realise there is something significant here. We are, we are being called into something with incredible purpose. And so I want us to learn some lessons about our identity and we need to pray for revelation because this stuff is too big to comprehend in our brains. The truth about who we now are in Christ is too outrageous for our small brains, no offence, or our small brains to fully comprehend. We need revelation from the Holy Spirit that puts it in our hearts and changes our behaviour even if we don't quite fully understand it. So let's, let's look at um, Jesus' baptism and look at a couple of lessons we can learn about our identity. So if, you, it turns, if you've got your Bible, turn to Mark 1. And um, we'll read verses 9 to 11. It says, In those days... Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. What a sweet moment of exchange between the Father and the Son. And I just want to pick out a couple of things we can learn about our identity from that encounter with Jesus and his Father. And the first thing is this, that we are God's beloved sons and daughters. 
that God is our Father and we are his beloved sons and daughters. And if you could get that by revelation, it would change everything. I, um, I did a little study recently. I looked up some synonyms that are similar to beloved because I like to unpack it a little bit more because we can sometimes say words and it's kind of just... Whoosh. Oh yes, I'm the beloved son or daughter of God. But listen to these other synonyms of, of beloved. Precious. Adored. Dearly loved. Cherished. Treasured. Prized. The apple of one's eye. The object of one's affections. You and I are the apple of God's eye and the object of his affections. When was the last time you just took a moment to let God's affection come on you? When was the last time you just took a moment to allow the affection of the Father to wash over you? We are the object of our Father's affection. We are his beloved sons and daughters. If you could get that by revelation, it would change everything. It brings security, it brings peace, it brings joy, brings confidence, helps us to step into all that God's called us to from a place of dependence on him. It's huge. Beloved sons and daughters of God. And that is just one truth that you can pick out in scripture. I'm just going to read some truths over us, which we will all know. But as I read them, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to drill them a bit deeper into your heart. Other truths about us. We are brand new creations. You are a brand new creation in Christ. We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. I mean, this is why you need revelation. What does that even mean? We are co-heirs with Christ. All I know that it's, is that it's good and big. We are holy in God's sight, without blemish and free from accusation. The enemy is the accuser of the brethren. When those accusations come... You can turn to him and say, I am without blemish and free from accusation. We're seated with Christ in heavenly places. We are ambassadors of Christ. Christ's ambassadors on the earth. It's just amazing. I've just picked out a few of the truths that the scripture is full of, of who we are in Christ. And... The thing about this journey of stepping increasingly into understanding our identity is that one of the incredible outworkings of it is that it can can deal with the trap of comparison in a way that not much else will. I don't know whether you ever have an issue with comparison. Um, I mean, probably not. But just in case you know anyone who does. um, (laughs) My experience when it comes to comparison, um, both personally and through people I've spoken to about it, is that there really are only two possible outcomes when you compare yourself with other people, and both are wrong. Okay, both both are wrong. On the one hand, if you compare yourself with someone who you somehow feel better at in a particular area or whatever filter you're using to compare yourself at that moment, you can quickly fall into pride 
And that is a problem. The Bible says God opposes the proud. So you, so you don't want to go there. The only other alternative, which is possibly more often the way we go, is we compare ourselves with people who we assume is who we assume are um, superior to us, but we are inferior to in whatever area. And what it does is it stops us in our tracks. Comparison stops us stepping into the unique race that God has called us to, to be all that he's called us to be. And I remember when I was younger, I used to do sprinting um, when I was at school, and my dad was really into sports stuff, and he gave me one piece of advice. Like he just, I mean, he would repeat himself quite a lot as well, so it's etched in my brain. But he would give me this one piece of advice when I was doing a sprint race. He would say, when you're, when you're running all the way through the race, don't at any point look to the left or to the right. Just look at the finishing line. That's what he would say to me. Don't look to the left or to the right. Just, just look, to, look at the finishing line. And the reason was, that if I looked to the left and to the right, I would slow down. It would affect the race that I'm called to, or the race that I was running. And it's a similar, similar thing happens for us as believers. What we tend to do is we look to our right at the person over there and we say, well, gosh, they look like they're having so much more fun than me, they're so much more free, they've got, they've got this, that and the other. I mean, you can fill the blanks of what your typical comparative statement would be. And you look over there and you look over here and you think, well, but if, if I was... If I was just able to be more like them, then I would feel better and, and they look like they've got it all together and all sorted or whatever it might be. And we spend all of our time looking to the right and to the left other people and forget that God has called us and given us a unique race to run. And no one else is able to run your or my race. And they're not meant to. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't learn from each other, be inspired by each other, but when it comes to the point of comparison, what it does is it stops you in your tracks from being all that God has called you to be, and it stops you celebrating who God has called you to be, and loving the race that he's got for you. And when was the last time you you thanked God for giving you your particular race to run, with your particular circumstances, in your particular situation, in your particular job, living in your particular street, doing whatever he's, he's asked you to do? Rather than looking at other people wishing, I was bit, wish I was a bit more like that, or I wish I was a bit less like that, or a bit more like that, and being limited in who God has called you to be. The truth is that each of us has got a unique race to run, and it's meant to look different to everybody else. Some of us will love prophesying over people on the streets, and that's awesome. Now, is it good for other people to learn how to do that? Sure, it's really good fun to have a go. Others of us, though, our natural inclination would be, I want to go and love the homeless on the streets, and I'm going to support them practically, and then see what Jesus wants to open up through that. All are brilliant. What the enemy scheme is, is to get us to compare ourselves, that we stop doing the very thing that God has called us to and asked us to do. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm so glad I'm not you. kind of wanting to be somewhere else now. <laughs> Some of you said that with real surety in your statement. You have to ask me why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why? Why would you want to be me? <laughs> really, honestly, the truth is, I mean, you you shouldn't want to be me. I don't want to be you. 
You haven't got the grace to be me. I haven't got the grace to be you. You need to be you and love who God has made you to be and step into the fullness of who he's called you to be because as everybody does that, the kingdom of God advances and grows. This church is going to be a massive blessing. What God needs of everyone in this room is for you to be you. What God needs... Yes! She's agreeing! Can I get an amen? Yes, I can. Um, What God needs of everyone in this room is that for you to be you. Whereas often we have certain people who perhaps are more confident at doing that, others just discounting, discounting, discounting. No one in this room is discounted from the purposes of God over this church and over this area. All of us are needed. Amen. <laughs> Second thing, you go for it, girl. She's, she's got revelation of her identity. That's a good thing. More, Lord. It is, it is, it is, it is a good thing. If you get revelation, you will know joy. So there you go. Second thing for us to learn from Jesus' baptism is that our brand new identity, who we are in Christ, is nothing to do with us and all because of what Jesus did on the cross. And that is Massive. Is everyone? Is anyone alive? I feel like. Okay, I'm just checking. Let, let me unpack that a little bit. Uh, Jesus, at his baptism, he hears the Father say, "You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased." You, you may have heard this stuff before. Let it go deeper into your heart. With you, I'm well pleased. And I would have had a problem with that had I been there, because I would want to know from the Father, "What are you pleased about?" He's not done anything. He's not done anything yet. He's not done any miracles. He's not preached any sermons. He's not multiplied any food. He's he's just grown up, probably built a few pieces of furniture, and then got baptised. And it's at that point that the father decides to to tell Jesus, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And, And the reason that I would perhaps have had a challenge with that is because we live in a culture that is... The, the, the culture tells us you are valuable and significant because of what you do, not just because of who you are. And that is what we learn as we are growing up through schooling, based on your performance you will get rewarded or not, through jobs, based on your performance you will get um, promoted or not. Um, it's often in our families it can be reinforced and, and sometimes even in the church it's still reinforced that we are valued and worth something because of what we do, what we can offer, not because of who we are as sons and daughters of God. And actually, the, 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 here's the thing. If your identity is wrapped up in your performance and what you can do and what you can offer, you will, you will do really well all the time you're performing well. If you're doing well, you're performing well, you're reaching your own personal expectations for yourself, you will feel really good about yourself. The issue will come if you make a mistake or suddenly you don't live up to your expectations or the perceived or real expectations of others. And you will suddenly feel like the carpet has been pulled out from underneath your feet. The truth is for us that our identity in Christ is nothing to do with us. It's all because of what Jesus won for us on the cross. I don't, I don't know if you can, 
even start to imagine that we could have earned our way into being beloved sons and daughters of God or brand new creations in Christ. We've not done anything. We've done nothing to receive that identity. We've said yes to Jesus, who was the first one who initiated contact with us in the first place. We've just said yes. And, uh, and suddenly we've been totally transformed into a brand new identity the, 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 the challenge for us is that our thinking catches up with the reality of what's already happened and the amazing it's, this is so freeing if you get this if you, if you realise that you've done nothing to earn this identity you can realise you can do nothing to unearn it Often we, we, we realise we're saved by grace. We kind of fall into this thinking that we stay saved by works and doing stuff. This is the scandal of grace. That it's true because it's true because it's true because of Jesus and nothing that we've done. And we can't do anything to change it. God loves us. We are his beloved children. We are who we are because of him and because of his grace. It, that is good news. That is really good news. And... I realised I had an issue with this and I'm still on a journey I'm pretty sure that you just keep going from freedom to freedom on this one but I remember that I had an issue with this of my identity being in my performance when I once brought a song contribution from the front of church and I went up to the front to the person who was hosting and I said I've got a song and uh, he gave me the mic and I started to sing this song and the band at the time were playing really quietly and so I just started singing really quietly. But suddenly I felt the Holy Spirit really come on me. You know, there's moments you're suddenly like, whoa, something's happening. So I started to get a bit more loud in my volume down the microphone in my singing. And I was thinking to myself, any minute now, the band who are playing quietly are going to realise that I am building in volume... And they're going to realise that's happening and they're going to begin to build in volume. And we're all building volume together and there will just be this outbreak of the Holy Spirit in the church, in the service. It's going to be like, oh, it's going to be good. Any minute now, they're going to hear that I'm getting louder and I'm thinking this as I'm singing this song. Anyway, what actually happens is I get louder and louder and louder and they stay really quiet really stay quiet so it sounds like I'm shouting so I hand the microphone back to the um, person hosting and I go and sit on my seat in the front row on my own and I just burst into te- burst into tears and I was like oh my gosh I don't know if you can relate to this I had this suddenly this suddenly this cycle of thoughts oh my gosh Wendy what on earth were you doing that was terrible you're meant to be a leader in this church the Holy Spirit's just left the building what were you thinking people are going to think you were shouting you're trying to promote yourself what was happening all this I don't know if you can relate the cycle of thinking but then I had a breakthrough moment because I felt the father come and sit next to me in the empty chair and he had his arms folded and he, he, he leaned over to me and he just said well I liked it and I suddenly burst out laughing and I realised that I had been, I'd got it all wrong and my thinking had been what is everybody else and his mother thinking and what I realised in that moment was my father loved it he loved what I had done even though it wasn't professional and it was a bit of a disaster he had loved it and it broke something off of me and I've realised that actually if your identity is in your performance there will be various different symptoms but just let me give you a few 
I think you're more likely to be generally uptight and stressed if your identity is caught in your performance you're just more likely to have that sense of tenseness in how you function because who you are is dependent on what you achieve and so if you don't achieve you're going to feel rubbish about yourself and so you're more likely just to have this underlying sense of stress and tension all the time because I need to, not, I need to make sure this is done well and I do this well because it's all about my identity you will not like making mistakes it all depends on you there's this underlying level of stress second thing you're more likely to fall into the comparison trap So if your identity is caught up in your performance, comparison will be a bigger issue for you because how are they faring in their performance to my performance? And is it okay? Am I coming out okay or am I not coming out okay? Also what happens is you lose who you are. Because what I found is because my identity was so wrapped up in my performance, I was trying to please everybody else. And... (laughs) And in the process, I lost who I was because I was trying to be all things to all people. Does that make sense? I was kind of, when this person's in the room, I've kind of put this mask on. And when this person's in the room, I kind of need to do this. And I need to make sure I don't say that when that person's in the room. And, and in the process, I mean, it's very tiring, very, very tiring. But also in the process, I lost myself. I lost who I was. And I remember going to Bethel and um, have, having people pray for me. And this one lady just said three words over me. She just said, the performance stops. And I don't really know what she meant, because I didn't like being on stage. I thought she was referring to drama. I was like, that's the last thing I'd want to do. But all right, the performance stops. But really what it was to do with was to do with me. not My leadership not being a performance, but being me doing stuff that I'm doing. And... Um, I remember coming back and several people commented to me after I'd, I think I'd spoken at the front or something and several people came up and said you just look so much more comfortable in your own skin and that, that was what had happened I suddenly was just more comfortable being me and where before I'd really cared about what people thought I probably swung too far the other way for a season and was like, I don't care at all. And that probably wasn't super healthy. And I, and I still need to work through some of that. It's not like I'm totally done on that stuff. But there was a massive breakthrough for me. And it brought just such a sense of peace and rest on the inside. I think that the last thing, the last possible symptom that your identity is in your performance is if you make mistakes, you will beat yourself up. I don't know if you guys can relate to that. Maybe not, but... There's an internal beating of yourself up where you go through the whole conversation. Should I have said that? Should I have said that? What's going on with that? And you, you will struggle to be okay with making mistakes. And the challenge with that, when it comes to living a naturally supernatural life, seeing God's kingdom break out, is that you've got to take risks and make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. You, you're, going to, you're going to get stuff wrong. And what I've found is that if your identity is, is rooted in your performance, you will only stick with doing what you know you can do well so that you can keep feeling good about yourself. If your identity is in your performance, you, you'll, you'll stick to the safe things that keep reinforcing, I'm okay, because I did this okay. Whereas actually, if you can get free from that, you can have a go at other things, bring in a word of knowledge. I mean, you can bring a word of knowledge and get it totally wrong and actually find it fun. That is possible. I didn't think it used to be at the beginning. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm devastated I got this thing wrong. 
But you, the only way you learn to hear God's voice through words of knowledge is to bring words of knowledge. It's really annoying. Yeah. <laughs> the, only, the only way you learn to hear God's voice through words of knowledge is to have a go and get it wrong and then try again and get it wrong and then try again. And oh, you get it right. What did I do differently? I don't know. But I got it right. The, o- the only way you can see people healed is by praying for the sick. And you just won't know unless you have a go and step out in obedience to God and see what he wants to do through you. I mean, I've made some monumental mistakes just to share this one because hopefully it will help you. I am, my first time I ever prophesied at the front of a church publicly, I was really nervous and... uh, um, I hadn't had a very good tummy. Won't go into too, more de- too many more details, but I was very full. I was full of fear. I was really nervous. And um, Adrian Hurst actually had taken me. You guys know Adrian. From, he had, he'd taken me on a ministry trip and said, "I want you to come and prophesy." And I hadn't been a Christian very long. I was like, "Oh." And um, I was walking up and down at the back um, of the auditorium during worship, just saying, "God, please speak to me." Please. I used to. Str- what hearing God's voice then was like. Kind of the equivalent... Oh, wait, no, I don't know if I can say that. Um, I just used to strain my... Uh, I was like, Lord, help me, help me, please speak to me, please speak to me. And I hadn't realised back then that as a, as a daughter of God, it's my right to hear God's voice. It's just part of, it's part of the privilege of being his daughter. And it's actually easier than you think. Yeah. So I was pacing up and down, and I saw a teenager on the, on the back row, and I felt like God said, tell her that she's priceless. So okay, I couldn't do that. So I went up the front. It was so, it was so terrible. Um, and I took the microphone. I, I probably was shaking, sweating, all sorts of stuff. And I picked her up and I stood her up. And, I, and she stood up and she was pr- looking pretty nervous. And I just said, I just feel like God just wants you to know that he thinks you're really worthless. <laughs> and uh, those, that was the word that came out of my mouth. And uh, I was like, oh no. <laughs> It was about two, like just like it felt like a long time, probably just a second. I was like, oh no, no, I didn't mean that. I meant priceless. I meant priceless. What was weird was when I'd first said worthless, the whole congregation very dutifully were like, hmm. I was like, what are you doing? It's so odd. I was like, oh lord. I guess I share that to say that when you're stepping into this stuff, you're going to have moments that are awkward. As a friend of mine says though, often the awesome comes out of the awkward. Often the awesome comes out of the awkward. And if you if you know that your identity is secure because of Christ and nothing to do with you, you can step out and get something wrong. And because you've loved the person, you know it's all going to be okay. And you can be okay. And you can know that God loves you just the same. You can step out and get a word of knowledge totally right and not fall into pride because you know it's all about him. It's all about his grace. Just before we pray, the last thing that God has taught me in this whole area that has been super helpful in taking risks and stepping out for him has been to do with his measure of success when it comes to taking risks. And I realised that God's measure of success is different often to our measure of success. And uh, I, I, this is how it happened. I, um, I was out in the town with a friend called Anna um, looking for 
people with hearing aids and people with white canes to offer to pray because we just felt provoked. Uh, we wanted to see more breakthrough in Bedford, so I wasn't quite brave enough to go on my own. So Anna came with me. And we kind of blundered our way through it, and we prayed for a lovely lady, older older lady, um, who had a white cane. She was partially sighted. She was a Christian. She was really lovely. And seemingly nothing happened immediately, but she was really lovely. And then we prayed for, I think we prayed for a couple of people in wheelchairs. And we always ask people, by the way, what, what they want God to do, because some people in wheelchairs don't want to be healed. Just as an aside, so I asked them what, what God wanted to do, got to pray for them. Again, seemingly nothing had happened. So I left Anna and went for a walk around a local park just to process with God because I knew that, that I needed to process some disappointment because I thought this could have been this could have been different and it, I hadn't seen the miracles I wanted to see. So I was walking around Bedford Park just talking to Jesus and I walked past this lady on crutches. And I thought, I just, I just can't just walk past her, I'm, I'm going to speak to her. So I said, I've noticed you on crutches, I'm a Christian, I believe God loves to heal people, can I pray for you? And she said, oh no, I'm fine, thank you. So I was like, okay, that's fine, have a great day. And I walked off, and I got about four metres or so away, and suddenly in my head I heard this massive applause. And I, I wish I could replicate it, I don't do a very good job, but it was like, a, it was like m- crowds of people cheering and applauding and whooping in my head. And I was like, I knew something was going on, and I was like, God, what is that? Nothing happened, was my, was my statement. And God said to me very clearly in that moment, Wendy, that is the applause of heaven over you because once again you've been obedient and taken a risk for me. And I realised in that moment that my measure of success was all about outcome. Were they healed? Did I get the word right? Did they become a Christian? Whereas God's measure of success is about obedience. Did I do what the Father asked me to do? That's it. Did I do what the Father asked me to do? That is what the Father looks for. Obedience and faithfulness. I've even heard some people talk about when you come to the front of a church to bring a contribution, it's called the walk of shame. I'm like, I hate that. I hate that because what it is is the walk of obedience. Whether you share your word or not is irrelevant. You've done what God has asked you to do. It's a, walk, it's a brilliant thing to do. People say, I don't like to come to the front and then walk away. Well, the Father loves it. If, if you've come to the front to share what God has given you to do and you don't get to share it, you've been successful because you've done what the Father has asked you to do. When you understand God's measure of success, when you understand that what God thinks about you is secure, it changes everything. It makes pursuing God and bringing his kingdom fun and light and an adventure rather than a stress and a pressure and so I just want to pray for you guys as we finish I would say sometimes I say this, I would say if you think your identity is in your performance you can stand up and respond realistically there's always a little bit of performance in in every single one of us I think that's fair to say, so let's all stand to our feet and um, let's just ask Jesus to come why don't you just focus on Jesus Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I'm just going to lead us in a prayer of repentance together. So, just just say this after me. 
Father, we repent for believing the lie that our identity, our value, our significance is all wrapped up in our performance, what we're able to do, what we're able to offer. Please forgive us, Father. Thank you that the truth is that my worth, my value, your love for me, and my identity is absolutely secure because of what Jesus has done for me on the cross. Amen.